Exodus 24:12-18, page 82. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tables of stone with the law and the commands I have written for their instructions. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his assistant, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back. You, Aaron, and her, are you and anyone involved in dispute can go to them. When Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain. On the seventh, the Lord called called to Moses from within the cloud to the Israelites for glory of the Lord looks like and consuming fire on top of the mountain then Moses entered the cloud as he went to the ma- up, on up on the mountain and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights second reading today is taken from Matthew 17 verse 1 to 9 and can be pay, p- found on page 984 After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. It's easy to make your face glow by uh, cosmetics uh, or If you rub your face with uh, deep heat, I think you'll find that that will have a glowing effect as well. I had a a kind of um, similar effect. I think I mentioned three times in a row my trip to Israel, which I haven't done for ages. But um, my experience of the Dead Sea was uh, a glowing experience because I'm prone a little bit to eczema and um, my wife in her sense decided to rub me full of the mud that they have on the shores of uh, the Dead Sea. Uh, So I went into the Dead Sea like covered in mud uh, and then had to use the salt water to get rid of the mud. Uh, And I was a luminous uh, by the time (laughs) that we'd uh, finished the uh, ordeal. And in the end, I was just in so much pain with (laughs) glowing from this a dead sea effect that they had to hose me down <laughs> with, with with water um, and that was a, a kind of a fake transfiguration um, which I don't recommend a transfiguration is one of those awesome 
moments when a preacher who comes to look at the passage uh, stumbles to teach lesson after lesson from it. A famous uh, preacher called Fred Craddock, who's written books on on these things, uh, um, suggests uh, in, in preacher's manuals, he suggests to hold the text before the listeners in its full extraordinariness rather than reduce it to lessons. It is better to be led to the mountain of transfiguration, to be helped to sense its significance to Jesus and the three apostles, and to be left there a while in awe in its mystery and power. And I think we need to start with that. We need to start with realizing what we've read today is something that is awesome. It's it's so powerful to what happened to those three disciples and the effect it had on Jesus' uh, ministry and the ordeal he was about to, to go into. Uh, I'm talking about crucifixion. That it, it was one of those big moments that often isn't highlighted enough in our, uh, in our church year. And this happens to be uh, the day when we, when we look at it each year, the transfiguration. It has so much meaning for those three. And so I want, if I, if I pull anything out rather than just leaving you there in that place of awesome uh, presence, um, I want us to look at the meaning of Jesus' dazzling white. I want us to look at the meaning of Elijah and Moses up there with them. And I want us to look at the meaning uh, of those chosen three and for us. So, the meaning of Jesus, dazzling white. The meaning, uh, just flick them up there now, uh, Tristan. The meaning of Moses and Elijah and the meaning of the chosen three and for us. Jesus, dazzling white. What's the meaning of that? It was such a powerful thing. And the descent of the cloud in verse 7, we got that. That was also very significant. And without a doubt, and even though Jesus had been in ministry with these guys for three years, without a doubt, this showed them, without a shadow of a doubt, that he is divine, that he was God incarnate. The glory that shone was not shining on him, it was shining from him. It was rather, it was, it was unlike what Moses experienced, and we had that in our first reading. Moses, when he came down from the mountain, you remember, his face shone. It shone because he was reflecting the light of the, of the glory of God. Jesus, the the glory emanated from him. Without a shadow of a doubt, this was a statement of perhaps from the Trinity who set this up. This was a statement that this is my son whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. There could be no mistake. Remember when Moses went up uh, on on Mount Sinai, uh, I'll just read you a little 
bit from the, the passage we had in verse 12 of Exodus 24. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone, the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. And when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. Verse 17, To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. So Jesus, dazzling white, as it said in, in our reading, uh, was the glory of the Lord. And they would have been sure of that uh, as they saw it. The bright light and the cloud, the transfiguration experience made no mistake that Jesus is who he said he is. He is Lord God, one and the same. And then the voice confirmed it. This is my son. Listen to him. The thing is, they're not really listening to him. That was part of the point. The context for the transfiguration, this was Matthew 17 we've just had read. The context was Matthew 16. Peter rebuked Jesus for foretelling his death forth-telling the, 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 the suffering that he was to experience, forth-telling that he was going to Jerusalem and that would happen. Matthew sixteen twenty two. Peter rebuked Jesus. Peter didn't get Jesus' idea of Messiahship. Maybe all of the disciples uh, were hoping for some kind of overthrow of power. They knew Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven and not of this world, and they'd heard it all, but they still didn't quite get it. James and John, wasn't it, that wanted to be in his cabinet, left and right hand of Jesus. They thought they were these 12 guys were going to be some kind of Boris's team. They didn't quite get Jesus' type of messiahship. And the transfiguration is literally a dazzling, bright way to, to get through their lack of hearing and open their eyes to see that he is who he has always said he is, the Messiah, Christ the Lord. And the penny did drop later for Peter. Um, in 2 Peter 1 verse 16, uh, he, as he reminisced in a letter, it's a lovely letter, if you want to read that in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, he just, this is just one little phrase, he said, we were with him up the mountain and the voice came out of the majestic glory. That was in his letter, second letter. And so to believe in Jesus we must listen to him, knowing that we don't always get it. And just because we believe, and I presume maybe uh, it's, it's, an, it's a wrong presumption, but I presume uh, all of us or most of us here are believers. And just because we believe, just because we worship uh, and, and are unashamed in our worship, it doesn't mean that we always get it. We need to get into the Word. We need to get deeper into prayer. 
We need to get uh, into fasting. I believe you did that last Friday, some of you. And, and, and get deeper and know that you're studying to listen so that he can speak to you. Or if you're better with audio and listening that way, uh, then find a way of listening as well as reading. We mustn't just believe that... Uh, we mustn't accept that just because we believe that we are getting it all the time. So what of the meaning of Moses and Elijah? Next one, Christian. What of the meaning of Moses and Elijah? People ask me, what is so important about Jesus in the Christian faith and compare him to all the other leaders of the other faiths. And we have it here in a nutshell, in this transfiguration, that all, what's caught up in all of the Old Testament law and all of the Old Testament prophets are pointing forward. And they're not pointing forward to a new era, a new day. They're not pointing forward to a new way of life. They're pointing forward to a person. And they spoke with this person. Uh, Moses uh, and Elijah were speaking with this person, Jesus Christ, on the Mount of Transfiguration. We have these two key representatives, represented of the Old Testament law, Moses, and the Old Testament prophecies, Elijah, speaking about his death. And I believe also that meeting would have given Jesus tremendous strength, as I said a minute ago, to, to go on to Jerusalem, knowing what he was to face to Calvary and to die for you and I. Both Moses and Elijah had mountaintop experiences themselves. They had seen the glory of God themselves. Exodus 31, verse 18, Moses and Exodus, uh, sorry, 1 Kings 19, verse 8, was Elijah's mountaintop experience. Uh, I'll not go into those because it would maybe take too much time right now, but just give you the references uh, for you to pick up later. But there were revelations of the glory of God, of seeing God at work through a brightness and through cloud. Fulfilling these prophecies was what that meeting was about. It was a statement that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies of all of the prophets, caught up in this one figure of Elijah. And if fulfilling the prophecies is maybe more of his, we've had it, I think, a couple of weeks ago where we talked about him fulfilling the law. Absolutely. Even right back to the first week when I came, when we were talking about Jesus' parents bringing him to the temple so that the law would be fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the law completely. And after that, there was the tabernacle. Now, People say, well, isn't a lot of that Old Testament tabernacle experience uh, past now? Didn't he do away with it? No, he didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it. 
he fulfilled it. Remember, the Mount Sinai experience, uh, Jesus had them make a tabernacle after the Mount Sinai experience. And it was a holy of holies where the presence of God dwelt with a bright shining Shekinah light, it was called. Exodus 25 verse 8 says, Then have them make for me a sanctuary, and I will dwell among them. The presence of God was represented by a glory cloud, which was this holy of holies and the Shekinah light. And um, Matthew implies in the transfiguration what John one, uh, John 1 verse 14 says very explicitly. And we have it in our nativity readings every year, and we don't notice uh, the significance of it, perhaps. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That was a proper translation. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We've changed it into English as dwelt because it feels a little bit better on our hearing. But actually the Greek would say the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And then what does it say? And we beheld His glory. Jesus is the new tabernacle. Not only... Uh, so how did he fulfill all these Old Testament things? Well, one, he was the sacrifice. Two, he was the high priest. And three, he was the tabernacle, the new tabernacle. He tabernacled amongst us and we beheld his glory. He fulfilled even that. And so in him, we also fulfill these things because we receive everything that he achieved on the cross for us. So the old order, Moses and Elijah, uh, was fulfilled in the new order, which is the person, the person of Jesus. As it says in our reading, this is my son, and the doors just opened with the wind. Uh, This is, I thought it was the Holy Spirit for a minute, but... uh, um, This is my son whom I love. Thank you, Lord. Uh, With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So what's the meaning uh, of the chosen three and us? What's the meaning of the chosen three and us? Next one, Tristan. As I said, remember the context of this is uh, Matthew chapter 16. Verse 21, which isn't the verse I've just read to you. Verse 21 says, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is what he was saying to his followers. So, Jesus' suffering and death was terrifying to them. Later, when Jesus was captured and killed, it would have been impossible for them to imagine his glory when he was in that state of crucifixion as he hung and they they felt it was all over. And even the Saturday after Good Friday, they went back to their jobs. They were totally devastated. They thought it was over. They still didn't get it. The transfiguration 
give them a glimpse through the suffering, uh, through uh, the traumas that they were to experience of the power and the glory to come. What they saw up that mountain, the mountain of transfiguration, it gave them something to hold on to. And they heard those, that voice saying, this is my son. Remember the last time they probably heard that, some of them. Remember when the last time they heard that, this is my son? Jesus' baptism. Mark chapter 1, you'll read about that. Same phrase, this is my son whom I am well pleased. But there's something added this time which I've also pointed to. Listen to him. This would stay with them and be a real strength and encouragement for the trials that lay ahead. And we need this just as much as those disciples then. We're constantly in situation where we receive disappointments, whether it's unanswered prayers, seeming unanswered prayers within, in our own lives, maybe uh, unbelieving uh, in our parish or in our, 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 our island, our country, unresponsive bishops, These are things where we, we need glimpses of the transfiguration to see the power and the glory that is on our side. It's a glimpse through the veil of the difficulties so that we can see that we are on the victor's side. And that glimpse through the veil says, despite how it looks, that the Lord is on your case. The Lord is providing, Jehovah. Jesus is working in your life, even in those situations where you're experiencing hardships and you don't maybe feel it. He's working in the life of this church and he knows and understands your heartache and the issues. The power of the risen Savior is here and now with us and he's working on your kiss. So why then these three? Why wasn't this uh, a walk of the twelve up the mountain and it would be a nice walk with Jesus uh, and finish with the transfiguration and the twelve of them would all be writing about this story? Well, it seems there is an inner circle. These three do have... Um, just flick it onto the next slide, Tristan, please. It, it, it seems there is an inner circle... These three uh, had other experiences of being drawn aside. Jairus' daughter on the Mount of Olives. I think the scriptures are coming up there. Um, and Gethsemane, the three were, seemed to be drawn closer to witness Jesus' suffering. Matthew 26, 37. And in the Mount of Transfiguration is a fourth instance of where these three, the inner circle, seemed to be single out. And I wondered why that may be. It's said uh, of Peter that he loved him. It's said of John that John he loved. And we know that James was the first disciple to be martyred, killed by the sword around about AD 44, recorded in history. 
So these three seem to be more devout. Perhaps that was what it was. And I wondered what it would be like to be one of those three. I wanted to respond to that in myself. It might seem a bit intense to you to think, I don't want to be a part-time follower of him. And I hope you can echo that in your hearts as well. I want to be seen as one of his inner circle, if there is such a thing even today. That can be our heart's desire. Maybe ones that depend on prayer and depend on fasting. These three seem to be singled out. Jesus blessed them in the way that they continued to devote themselves to him. When Moses came down from the mountain, his face glowed. And the nice thing about it was he didn't know his face glowed. He scared people and he had to put a veil over him. Now, nobody's ever looked at me and said, Kelvin, you're scaring me. Not for the glow, <laughs> though I was frightened in the, in the Dead Sea experience. But it'd be nice. And it's a sign of his humility that he didn't know as well. And I think for those of us who pray that prayer, Lord, I want a glow for you. I want people to see you in me. It's lovely that it's often the other people around us that see some of Christ shining from us. It'll come through you being, spending time in worship, as I've said already, time in the Word, time uh, in prayer and seeking Him, prayer and fasting for some of you. A good memory verse for you if this is challenging you is Psalm 34 verse 5. Those who look to Him are radiant. Those who look to Him are radiant. Good memory verse for you, Psalm 34 and verse 5. As I said when I started, it's easy to fake glow. Just rub a bit of deep heat in your face and I'm sure you'll catch people's imagination as they watch you glowing. This is different. This is about being devoted to God, praying that He will use you as you seek Him at that, maybe at a deeper level, through the Scriptures, through your worship, through engaging. And perhaps that's the best challenge of the Mount of Transfiguration for each of us here, that we would seek to be at that deeper place. We're going to sing a song which I've asked Andrew. I don't know if it's going to be the first one, the uh, Welcome to the Courts of the King. Is, is that the fourth one? Uh, maybe you could do it first, yeah. Um, it's just the, 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 the chorus got me. And I fall face down as your glory shines around. I fall face down, your glory shines around. Welcome to the courts of the King. We can do that as we enter into worship now. In your hearts, you can fall face down and just acknowledge His glory and allow Him to transfigure you so that you can go out and shine for Him and reflect. Just like the moon would reflect the sun, 
The moon is no light of itself. We can shine with the light of Christ as we seek him on that deeper level. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for this challenge. Lord, we do love your word, and we know that it is a living word. It teaches us something new every time we open it. Help us, Lord, to be changed just like those three that went up the mountain, Peter, James, and John. Help us to be closer to you, more devoted to you, so that you can shine through us. We ask it in your precious name. Amen.